I'm just going to say one quick little thing here. Um, by design, uh, this message has 10 points. We're not going to give equal time to every point, but I'm attempting to give you every point for your own study. And also, um, you're going to have homework. Uh, it's like the Christian life. It's voluntary. You can, you can take as much as you want, but there is going to be homework at the end of it. And so I just wanted to say one little word to say that I think it would be more profitable if you took notes. Um, and so maybe you can't even do that. And I know they record the messages. I, I mean, maybe you, I don't mean you don't have the ability to take notes. I mean, maybe you don't have a pen and paper. But I just wanted to say that at the beginning. Um, this is very much a message with a specific purpose and a specific prayer. And I think it'll be more profitable if you write these things down uh, for your consideration later. So that being said, I'd like to ask this question because I think this, is a, this question embodies what we're going to do over the next 45 uh, minutes uh, or so. Um, the question is this. If someone handed you a blank check this morning and it was not a joke, it, it was a legitimate blank check and it had unlimited resources behind it and you could walk out of here with a blank check, would that be fun? That's the question. <laughs> you can think of this any way you want, right? A typical American has a list of things that they would like, right? You can think of it that way or think of it before the Lord. But please think it through. If someone handed you a blank check, would that be enjoyable? I think if we're honest, then we would say, yeah, right? Sure. I would set aside, and I mean this literally, um, I guess I'll start with this. I would probably buy a new car. Um, you know, I, would, I mean, there's, there's things that, that you think, okay, well, I would do this. I would pay off my house, you know? I mean, there's those things. But very frankly and very honestly, I would set aside $500 million so that we could advertise in movie theaters across North America for the next five years or so. That's where our society is. Um, I would set aside $100 thousand dollars for the building of the best website that we could do with the grace of God so that when we advertise nationally or continentally the gospel it would funnel them to, to there I could have tremendous fun I, I was talking with a brother who's a very faithful zealous committed brother he spends his time at, at Greenwood Hills and he told me uh, he smiled and it wasn't in context of this at all but he he said I have spent a hundred thousand dollars in my mind at this camp a hundred times people that that think about the work of God pray about the work of God uh, they think about these things right so it's a simple question if someone handed you a legitimate blank check would that be fun Okay, now, now, I am suggesting that this message is a blank check, and it is so much more fun than, than financial dollars. I'm going to set before you, at least I'm going to attempt, by the grace of God, to set before you this morning a blank check given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And my suggestion, which I'm 100% convinced is, is totally substantiated by this book, is that you can have as much as you want of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. And then that's the Lord Jesus Christ point. Now, to that end, go to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. If you like sermon titles, this could be titled, Bema, What Will the Judge Be Looking For? And point number one is found in Matthew chapter 5. In verse number 11, blessed are you, I'll give you just a second, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, 
Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And then please notice this phrase. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we just really want to ask for your help. Lord, I ask as... as um, as a, a, one who longs for the blessing of the people in this room, I ask for my brothers and sisters in this room that you would change lives this morning. Father, you who began a good work, I pray that you would complete it in this very room, in this very hour. I pray, Father, that you would have your way with the people in this room in such a way over the next 45 minutes that they will stand with greater joy at the judgment seat of Christ someday. Father, please help us to see your word for what it is. Help us to understand the words and the testimonies of Jesus Christ as the blank check that they are. Father, please don't let us be the fools that waste their time and waste their lives. Lord, we ask this morning, there's going to be a different application in every life in this room. And only an omnipotent spirit of God could take one message and drive it home in every life how it needs to be driven home. And so we just cast ourselves dependently before you. And we pray, Father, that nothing would hinder the glory of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And we pray, we pray secondarily that nothing would hinder the blessing that you desire to see accomplished in the lives that are in this room for the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, we just commit that to you. You're a God that can do these things. You're far more committed to these things than we are. We ask it in faith and we ask it joyfully. In the name and for the glory, honor, and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So point number one, if you're jotting these things down, is the joyful acceptance of injustice. The joyful acceptance of injustice. Now let's read it one more time. Matthew 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we have suffering, that is not just your run-of-the-mill suffering, you might say, but when we have suffering that is specifically suffering because Jesus Christ is in our life, and because by the grace of God, we've been abiding in the vine and the life of the vine is flowing through us and living its life out through us. And we're walking intimately enough with Jesus Christ that his beauty is reflecting off of us. When you have that kind of suffering, then he says, blessed are you. Do you feel that way when you when you're reviled, when you're persecuted, when you suffer? Is that your most I'll put it this way. Is that your first reaction? I've been spit on. No, I don't pretend to, to suffer for Christ. And I mean that. I mean, we have brothers and sisters that won't eat today. They're in prison, right? They can't meet with God's people today all around the world, right? We have brothers and sisters that suffer. I'm not saying I suffer. But when you, when you stand for Christ, I've been spit on on a college campus. I've been spit at at a college campus. In high school, this makes me laugh looking back at the ridiculousness of it but in high school they called me jesus crispy i don't even know where that came from but it was an insult right it was not a compliment in the social circle of my high school standing for christ got you mocked and there was a time when that took all of the strength and stamina that i had just to simply stand 
and not cave in and just be a hypocrite and live like the world. Um, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. I know a gentleman in Georgia who lost his job because he wouldn't lie. His boss came in and said, tell the customer this. And he said a quick prayer, and then, and then he, he, um, he said, I'm sorry, sir, I can't do that. And the boss got angry, and he said, what, why? And, um, and he, he explained it. I was there. That's not what happened. Um, I, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus. I can't do that. Um, and the boss gave him one more chance. He said, you tell the customer this. Big customer, big account. Wanted him to lie. He said another quick prayer, and then he said, I'm sorry, sir, I can't do that. And so the boss said, okay, 10 minutes, a security guard will come by your desk. Here's a box. You can clean out your stuff, and they'll walk you out the front door. He's in his young 60s. It's hard to find a job when you're in your young 60s, right? A company doesn't want to train somebody in their young 60s. They want to train somebody younger so they get more years out of them. Now, I sat there, and he was asking us to pray for him. And please believe we did pray for him. But I sat there, and I didn't say it out loud, but I sat there the whole time listening to this gentleman, and I just was thinking inside, I was thinking, think of the reward. Think of the reward. I don't know what he made for uh, for a living, but whatever he lost for the sake of Christ, we looked at it yesterday, anything you give up for the sake of Christ, how many will you receive back? A hundredfold, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Boy, just think of... Think of the reward. My son had, a, had an evangelistic Bible study in the junior high in Topeka, Kansas the last couple years. Um, and uh, at one point, they took his book bag and they, and they shoved it into the toilet with his books, his coat, you know, all the rest of it. Um, and they, they, um, it was a little bit hard as a father watching my son go through some of these things, you know. Um, blessed are you. When somebody spits at me at the University of Albuquerque's campus in New Mexico, what did they literally hand me? Think about it, right? What did they hand me? They handed me a reward, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that we be arrogant or we might say cocky, you know. I'm not suggesting that we, that we look at them and say, thank you, right? You know, you don't have to respond that way, but you can literally, you can rejoice when the world reviles and persecutes you, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely. That's an important part of that verse. For my sake, you can, you can very legitimately just rejoice in any kind of suffering for the name of Jesus Christ whatsoever. Because if he counts you worthy to suffer for him in any way, those people are heaping on you eternal blessing. So the more you shine for Jesus Christ, boy, I find it so easy. It's so easy not to be persecuted. It's so easy for the world not to react against me. Uh, because there's no righteousness in me that they would react against. I'm not walking that intimately with Jesus Christ. It's so easy to subtly just say less, to stand out less, spiritually duck, just keep your head down, and then the world doesn't react against you. But the Lord says, blessed are you if they revile, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And then this is such a great phrase, and this is really our whole message today. Great is your reward in heaven. Let your light so shine before men. To the extent that you do that, to the extent that the world reacts against the righteousness of Christ that they see in you, to the extent that you're persecuted for the name of Christ, great is your reward. So there's blank check number one. Number two, let's go to the next chapter. Matthew chapter six, if you would. Matthew chapter six.
in verse number 19. Number one, just for people's notes, was the joyful acceptance of injustice. That brings us to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is point number two. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I have point number two in my notes. I have it as stewardship. Stewardship of resources. Specifically here, it would be the stewardship of money. Do not lay up your financial treasures on earth, but lay them up in heaven. Boy, if anything is a blank check, it's this. Now, never in my life do I plan on writing a book on finances. I'm, I'm determinedly not planning to write a book on finances. But if I ever did... I would title it, Give Yourself to Financial Freedom, because um, I so enjoy these, these scriptures. In fact, the one thing I wrestled with the Lord about before going full-time in, in the Lord's work was my personal will, there's far too much of me in me, my personal will to be a giver. Um, when I was out earning money, when I was in sales, and if I had a better month, I made more money. When all of that was true in my life, it was under my control to be, to be a giver. And I had, to, I had to offer that to the Lord. And I didn't know if, if I could ever be a giver again when I went full time. Now, I can joyfully say today that, that um, being a giver is being like God. And the Lord will always provide for his people to be like him. He will always provide. If he doesn't do it in one way, he'll do it in a different way. My dad used to call verses like this. He would call it a 401H. And uh, he had no idea that he was going to die at 66 years old, but he used to invest in his 401H, right? Lay up not treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. And if anything is a blank check, it's this, right? We have a great government, um, and I'm not even referring to, to our current president. The one before him from time to time would just send out money to people. Do you remember that? Right? I remember one time I got a check in my mailbox for $500 from my friendly government. Right? They're just sending money out. Well, here you've got money in your hand that was not planned, not budgeted for. Um, the, the most natural, normal thing for an American Christian is to just think, well, what's on my list? Most American Christians have lists, right? They can either be godly or completely secular, but most American Christians have lists. If you go out and buy a toy, then that's your, that's your treasure, right? Congratulations. It may be completely morally neutral. There may be nothing wrong with what you buy whatsoever, but if that's all it is, then that's, that's your treasure. If you take that $500 check, hypothetically, put it on the bed, get on your knees beside the bed, and say, Lord, I want you to direct me how to use this money for you. Maybe the Lord would have you buy something like carpet and then use your home for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the Lord would have you give that to our brother that needs dental work. Boy, that's, it's, an, it's a blank check, isn't it? If you waste it, it's gone. I say this as somebody who's wasted thousands upon thousands of dollars. When I was 18 years old, I was a waiter. This is before I went to Bible college. I was a waiter. I was walking out of the restaurant. It was a nice restaurant, popular restaurant in Topeka, Kansas. I was walking out of the restaurant with around $3,000 cash every month. 
my tip wage would cover my taxes. And so, you know, my, my father had bought me an old farm truck that I drove and I paid the gas and the insurance. But, but I basically had $3,000 disposable income every month as an 18-year-old boy. They were buying my food. They were paying for my housing. If you waste it, it's gone. If you invest it in eternity, it waits for you. How could we not be excited about something like that? Whatever you give, it will come back. And very frankly, I've even seen it come back in this life. But the ultimate promise is that it's waiting for you uh, in, in the heavens. Um, I, I mentioned earlier in the weekend that I grew up watching a, a ton of movies. Um, that was part of the culture of my family. Um, so much garbage in my head. One of those movies that, that I don't recommend, um, it was a movie that depicted uh, World War II. And uh, there was a man named Schindler. Uh, maybe some of you have, have even seen this. Um, and he went to the Nazis, and, and he hated what the Nazis were doing with the Jewish people. They were, the Nazis were figuring out the cheapest way possible to exterminate a human being. They didn't want to pay the price of a bullet to kill a Jewish person. And so they were figuring out cheaper ways. They were using fire. They were using gas. They were using these different things in these prisoner of war camps. And Schindler saw this, and so he went to the Nazis, and he made up a story. He said, I have a factory, and rather than just wasting these Jewish people, um, I want to buy them from you. Uh, evidently, his, history says that he was a very wealthy man. And so he negotiated with the Nazis a price for a Jewish human being, a price for a life. And, and um, he loaded them up uh, onto trains, and he shipped them out of the prisoner of war camp, and what I will never forget is at the end of that movie, uh, Schindler is standing there with many, many eternal souls that he physically purchased with his money to get them out of this camp. And then he looks at his car and he says, I probably could have gotten 10 more for that. It's a nice car. And then he's got a pin and he says, I wonder how many I could have gotten for that. One, maybe two. One, maybe two I could have gotten for that. At least one. At least one I could have gotten for that. My point is very simple. I pray that we will be a generation that will look upon the lost the way that Jesus Christ does. And that we will see that $500 in our hands, it could either be used the way most American Christians use it without even giving it a second thought, or it could be poured out for a soul. It could be poured into the work of God. Now, your $500, the Lord will direct you each time you have that disposable income, whether it's $3 or $500, the Lord will direct you how and what to do with that money. But we must get to the point where we weep over souls the way Jesus Christ does. And whether instead of buying toys and buying the next thing on our list, we're, we're investing in the work of God. We have the $500 million that it would take to, to advertise in theaters. We have it. We have it in land. We have it in condos. We have it in investments. I mean, we, the Bride of Christ in North America, already has it. The next biography on my list is Selena, Countess of Huntington. I haven't started it yet. She is the lady, if you've not heard of her, she's the lady who funded the Methodist revival. 
The revival was spreading so quickly that they could not physically, financially keep up with all the people that were being saved and booted out of an apostate church. And so they were gathering these Christians together, and this lady, who had been saved, gave her fortune for the building of Methodist chapels as the revival spread. I can't wait to read that book. And it is strategic, because the next generation has to, at some point, whoever does the teaching, somebody has to teach the next generation, my generation, to give and to support the work of God. Somebody has to do that. But we already have the resources. And so the blank check is obvious. You can either lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, or you can lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. So it's totally up to you. It's like the Christian life. You can have as much as you want. It's like your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have as much as you want. You are the only limiting factor in the intimacy that you're currently experiencing between you and Jesus Christ. And you are the only limiting factor in how well you will do at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is more for you than you can possibly imagine. He's unwaveringly, omnipotently for you doing well at the judgment seat of Christ. We're the only limiting factor. So number one, joyful acceptance of injustice. Number two, uh, stewardship, which of course is a very broad topic, specifically in the text uh, would be the stewardship of, of resources and the laying up of treasure in heaven. That brings us to number, number three. Go to Matthew chapter 25, if you would. Matthew chapter 25, this is point number three, in verse number 35. Familiar verses, we're just going to pull a principle from this text. Matthew 25, 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Point number three in my outline, um, I, I wrote down is kindnesses, kindnesses. Whether you're going to visit someone in prison, that one particularly touches me. Things I never thought I would say in my life. Um, So-and-so gets out of prison today in my family. I never expected that sentence to come out of my life. When somebody's life just explodes and, and there's an act of kindness from a Christian to go and see them, it's, it's surprising how much that means. And then the Lord Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, my brethren, I will count that like you're doing that unto me. What an incredible blank check for you and I. You want to love Jesus Christ today? If Jesus Christ appeared right here, what would you do? I think I would just want to fall down and say, my Lord and my God. Maybe Luke 7. Maybe if I was allowed by the grace of God to get close enough to weep on his feet and to touch him. Someday we're going to see him, right? It's just a matter of time. 
He's altogether lovely. And anything that we do for his people, even the least of his people, he counts that as if, if um, it was for, for him. From time to time in my travels, somebody will be kind to one of my kids or to my wife. A, a brother pulled, pulled us aside at a Bible camp one time and handed my wife in front of me. He asked permission, which I thought was gracious and kind. Uh, and then he handed my wife a $100 bill, right? And that gave me just as much joy, absolutely, as it, as it did my wife. He was being kind to one that I love. And the Lord Jesus, that's his, that's his thought. If you do any little act of kindness to one of the least of these, then I will treat that as if you're doing it unto me. From time to time, people will ask me, I don't know where this question came from, but, but people seem to ask this all over North America. What's the most fruitful ministry that you have seen in the past 10 years, they'll say. And my answer to that for probably 10 years has been hospitality. At the Assembly in Topeka, Kansas, over the past 14 years or so, went from 15 people to about 115 people in fellowship today. Um, we're a blessed little group. Uh, we're very thankful for the grace of God that has blessed and brought, us, and brought us along. And that assembly was built on hospitality. It was built on it. We have several young couples that are one of my greatest joys in the world to serve the Lord with. One of them I call the general and because uh, he's an administrator by gift, and he just runs things beautifully. Uh, the other one is so talented and gifted, and it, I just love serving the Lord with these guys. They would tell you, if they were here, that they're in Topeka, Kansas today because they were passing through as a young couple. They were secretly just quietly wondering, where are we going to settle? Where can we serve the Lord? And the hospitality of the Christians, of the little assembly at the time, so overwhelmed them that they thought this is a place that we could serve the Lord. And they settled in Topeka. So I've actually physically watched the result of, of these kinds of things, acts of kindnesses toward the saints. So not only does the Lord say, I'll treat it as, as a blank check, I'll treat it like you're doing it directly to me, but it's also a vital function of the local meeting. Okay, that takes us to number four. Go back to Matthew chapter six, if you would. This is point number four in the outline, Matthew chapter six. In verse number five. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So, very straightforward. If you pray hypocritically, if you pray in public, uh, no, I, I need to be way more specific than that. If you pray only uh, in public for the purpose of making a show, then this says that you have your reward. Uh, but the blank check here is, um, prayer is, in my observation, the most vital most neglected part of the work of God in North America. This is my observation. And the importance that Scripture places on prayer is just massive. You look at the life of Jesus Christ, the teaching of Jesus Christ, the life of the apostles and the teaching of the apostles, the life and the teaching of the apostle Paul. Not only that, but go into Nehemiah and Ezra. 
Every major revival in biblical history was preceded by the Lord burdening his people for prayer. I've personally witnessed an assembly that was as close to death um, as you can get, at least from my perspective. And the whole assembly, like a big, massive cruise ship, was slowly turned around and is one of the better pictures of life and health and vitality that I can think of today. And it all started with one man who said, this is not the way that it ought to be. Jesus Christ is not getting the glory from us growing and splitting every 18 months. Jesus Christ is being robbed of intimacy, glory. The people of God are not being blessed. We're not coming into any of the fruit that the New Testament teaches that we should expect. It's not the way that it ought to be. And that burden drove him to his knees. And then pretty soon the Lord provided one other man, and, and those two men would spend time on their knees every month, and then that turned into every two weeks. And then the Lord added a, a couple other young men, and then they had a revitalized prayer meeting. And then the Lord started to bear fruit as they abided in the vine and as they obeyed the Lord and sought the head, which they hadn't been doing. There's, in my mind, there's no way to overemphasize the importance of prayer. In fact, um, in its context, in its immediate context, the verses that we just read would be prayer. Um, I take that principle, and my point number four in my outline, I put it as spiritual disciplines. And so I'm just taking the concept and saying spiritual disciplines. If you want to be more um, exacting in this particular text, then it would be the subject of prayer. So what's your blank check? Go home, get into your closet, and labor for the work of God. Go home and get into your closet and labor for marriages. I don't know, I don't know the details of the people in this assembly, but everywhere I go, there are marriages that are, that are close to the edge. Hurting people. Most of the time, there's one spouse that's crying themselves to sleep at night. The other one doesn't even know. A lot of times the assembly doesn't know. The elders don't know until someone files for divorce. Labor for the lost. 530 million people in North America that need to be reached in the next generation. There is nothing that prevents the Lord from saving by many or by few. I know the living God will reach the 530 million people in the next generation with the truth of Jesus Christ. It's just a matter of how. And we have the privilege of being involved and asking the Lord how. How would you have us to do that? What fishing hole would you have us to spend time in right now? Laboring in prayer. Now, there's a gentleman that was like a spiritual father to me in my, in my college years. And he used to say this. Attending all the meetings of the local assembly may not make you spiritual. But not attending all the meetings of the local assembly will surely make you carnal. And I appreciate that. Here I am almost half of my, well literally, half of my life later from the time I went to Bible college, and I still remember that. Making the meetings of the church the, a central point in my family, I'm not sorry that we decided to do that as a young couple. Watching my kids grow up, we either teach our kids the meetings of the church are not important, or we teach them that they're vitally important. If we have the heart of Jesus Christ, then, then we love the church and we give ourselves for it. So spiritual disciplines, the word, prayer, service, evangelism, simply attending. That's not the ultimate goal of the Christian life, attending the meetings of the local assembly, right? It's a starting place. If you want to live a great life for Christ, that's the starting place. Okay, I'm going to commit myself to that which Jesus Christ committed himself to. 
love the church and give myself for it. So the blank check is very, very simple. Um, you can go in your closet, call out to the Father who sees in the secret place, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So how much reward do you want? How well do you want to do at the judgment seat of Christ? You can have as much as you want in that, in that context. Okay, number five. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, if you would. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 22. Colossians chapter 3, and verse 22 says this. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Point number five in my outline is faithfulness at work. Faithfulness at work. For those of you that the Lord has so moved in your life that you're homemakers, the application would, would be just as direct by application, faithfulness at home. What the Lord has set before you to do, if you faithfully do that for Him, for His glory, then this is a, it's a great little phrase, isn't it? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. I came out of Bible college zealous um, and immature. Zealous and greatly lacking wisdom, zealous, and definitely uh, needing the discipline and structure of a local meeting and people to, to check my zeal and to teach my zeal and to shape it. Um, but I was zealous. At one point, I said to a friend, I, I was in sales at the time. I spent my whole childhood saying, I don't ever want to be a salesman. And, and I hear I was in sales, and I was not happy. And I said to one of my Christian friends, I just want to spend my life doing something that I'm passionate about. And my friend looked at me and he smiled and he said, are you passionate about feeding your family? <laughs> and I said, I suppose I should be, you know, and I, the honest answer was no, right? I wanted to, to go to Africa or Papua New Guinea or, or just be set free in North America. But, but so the, the key to all of that was I wanted. Um, there, there, I was really trying to lead the Lord. In fact, most of my prayer was trying to convince the Lord that my spiritual ideas were worthy of his omnipotent support. Lord, think of what the two of us could do together, was basically my prayer life, right? Zealous, right? I thank the Lord for zealous young people. I pray that we'll have a whole generation of zealous young people. But the Lord knew, boy, I needed, desperately needed. It would have been a disaster to, let, to set me free uh, at, that, at that point. And I had to learn this principle, whether it's from 1 Peter, whether it's from this text, the scripture multiple places talks about this exact same principle. Uh, employees and earthly masters. Here it uses the word bondservant. Very similar relationship. An economic relationship where you say, okay, I'll serve you, you pay me. Right? That's what's in view. And it says, you serve the Lord Christ. I had to learn that. I used to think to myself, I don't want to spend my life selling paper. It's all going to burn. And then I had to learn the lesson. You serve the Lord Christ. Uh, let me put that in a different perspective. Um, 
I boarded a plane in Atlanta, Georgia, and flew to Kansas City a number of years ago. And I was praying uh, and talking to the Lord, and I looked out the window at the literally millions upon millions of people that we were flying over. And I began to weep before the Lord. Um, and, and when I say weep, I mean like my shoulders were shaking. I was embarrassed. Um, I thought, these people probably think I'm crazy. Uh, and my Bible open uh, on my tray table. I was reading a little bit. I was praying, and I was asking the Lord, how are we going to reach them? Now, that plane ride was a unique and intimate experience between me and my Savior that I will never, ever forget. I still carry the piece of paper with the thoughts that the Lord gave me as I jotted them down and as I just sought the Lord on that plane. Well, I've been asking the Lord ever since then, what, how are we going to reach them? And I basically have three answers to that. Now, maybe this will continue to evolve. I hope it does. But my three answers to that is if you look at North America, specifically maybe the United States and Canada, then, then you have a society where the predominant part of the society, if you're 18 to 22 and down, is in the school system. So we still have open doors to go into the school system and reach souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying everyone has to send your kids to public school. I'm not saying that. Right now, my wife, we, homes, or we public school the last two years, we're homeschooling this year. I'm willing to do whatever the Lord directs me to as the leader of my family. So I'm not saying there's only one option. I'm saying that in Topeka, Kansas, if you walk into the school administration and say, I want to have a Bible club, it's still a legal right for you to be able to go in and do that. And they are open. They're wide open to that. One of the things they're doing with the new work in Ottawa, Kansas, is having Bible clubs in the school system. So if you're looking for souls, then at some point you ask the question, where are they? And if you're asking where are they, then you think, okay, if they're 18 to 22 and down, they're in school. Maybe we could use that for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're 18 to 22 and up, you're in the workplace. This is so vitally important. I sold paper from, from 23 years old to 30 years old. If that's all it was, that's a waste. But that is not all it was, by any means. I had 150 customers. You would say things like, I'm not going to be here next week, but Jamie in the office, she can take care of all your needs. If you need anything, call Jamie. She'll take care of you. And then they would say what? Oh, where are you going? You'd say, well, I have the opportunity to go to a camp outside of Ottawa, Canada, and talk with 100 young people uh, and show them from God's word how you can know for sure that you'll be saved when you die. Seven out of ten of the customers would go, oh. Right? And they would go on with their day. And then three of them would say, Really? And then if you're, where, if you're from where I'm from, they'd say, do you mean Ottawa, Kansas? And you said, no, Ottawa, Canada. Really? And then you'd say, did you know that you could know for sure from God's word that, you could be, that you'd be saved? You can know for sure. The Lord wants you to know for sure. And I found like one out of ten. Eventually, you could say, when we're both not on the clock, why don't we go out and get a cup of coffee, and I will show you how you can know from God's word. Now, an unsaved salesman can't do that, Right? If all it is is selling paper, it is a waste of time, if that's all it is. But no Christian, no Christian, that it, for any Christian doing any job, that's not all it is. Whatever the Lord has given you to do, you serve the Lord Christ. He can use you as you flip burgers or as you dig ditches or as you reign as the president of a company, whatever it is, he can use you. And it's vitally important that we as Christians Think, where are the people? Where are we going to find them? Now, this again, this is my perspective. My perspective is this. The number one gospel opportunity that we currently have in the assemblies in North America is the workplace. That's my perspective, the way I see it. Why? 
Now just think through your life. Where do you rub shoulders with unbelievers more than any other place? The workplace. And I think that that's typical in our society. Where are we going to find them? Where are we going to meet them? Where is the glory of Jesus Christ going to shine through us in such a place that the world reacts against it? Or the world is drawn to it? The workplace. If we're going to reach a generation, we must think as we get up on a Monday and head off to work, I serve the Lord Christ. Isn't that encouraging, by the way? That's your job description. Whatever you do for a living, that's your job description. I serve the Lord Christ. What happens when you blow it? I'm not going to take a lot more time on this, but what if you blow it at the workplace? I just simply want to, I just want to encourage you, be a good example of what a Christian does when he blows it. I have a friend who called me on his way home from work, and he, he was trying not to cry. And he said, if I'm ever going to have a testimony again, I think I have to switch jobs. He'd gotten, he's in a stressful job, and it was in an intense moment, and he swore. He didn't use the Lord's name in vain, but, but he swore right in front of this crowd of people in this stressful moment, and he just knew he blew it, right? What do you do when you blow it? You be a good example of someone that blows it. What does a Christian do when he blows it? Confess, right? If you've sinned privately between you and the Lord, you go right to the Lord and you make it right. If you've sinned in front of a group of ten people, you go to them and you say, I completely blew it. I sinned against my God and I sinned right in front of you and I just wanted to come and, and say I'm sorry and ask you to forgive me. I should not be conducting myself that way. It's really that simple. I had to walk into the president. He loved the Lord very much. I had to walk into his office, president of my company that I worked for from 23 to, to almost 30 years old. And, and say, do you have a second? Uh, he always did, which I admire. And we shut the door and I said, I sinned against God and I sinned against you and I came to ask you to forgive me. We do blow it at times, don't we? It's so vital that, that we think of the workplace the way Jesus Christ thinks of the workplace. It's so vital. Um, they're in school, they're in the workplace, they're in movie theaters. This is my answer right now. In Topeka, Kansas, there's two movie theaters. We have 150,000 people in Topeka, Kansas. Those 150,000 people, during an economic depression, purchased 750,000 movie tickets in one year. If you're asking the question, where are they and where can we find them? That's where they are. They're flocking to movie theaters. Now, I'm going to be quick to say, I detest the filth of Hollywood. I detest it. We cannot spend our money supporting, laughing at, and enjoying things that cause Jesus Christ to suffer and die on the cross. We cannot enjoy things that he's disgusted by. Now, we're quick to say that. But I find in many things in the Christian life, either you can decry the darkness or you can stand there and hold a candle. And I'm asking the Lord, what's the tent of our generation? It used to be that you could put up a tent. It was the best show in town. Every person in town would come out and sit in that tent. By the way, did you know that the Christians were against that? When they first thought of that, a Christian went to the circus. That was a debatable thing in that day. He sat there looking at all those people in that circus, and he thought, I think if I bought a tent and set it up, everybody would come sit here and we could share Jesus Christ with them. He went back and he talked to the Christians. This is what I understand according to my reading. And a lot of the Christians were against it. You're using the methods of the world to reach people. But he prayed about it. He became convinced, this is a good thing. I'm going to get a tent, and I'm going to preach the gospel. And they saw such a revival in that town that they went to the next town. And they saw such a movement of the Spirit of God that they went to the next town. And they reached a whole generation with those tents. Now, I'm not convinced, and I think I'm right, that you can't reach our generation in tents. 
So I'm asking the Lord, what's the tent of our generation? And I'm wondering, maybe it's the school system, maybe it's the workplace, maybe it's movie theaters. Now again, these are just my thoughts. You can take those or leave those at will completely. The Lord will direct you however he wants to direct you in these things. My biblical argument, my thus saith the Lord, is you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever it is, you serve the Lord Christ. So we have to go into the workplace thinking, I'm here as a representative of Jesus Christ. If you're working for money, you're completely missing the point. There's nothing wrong with working for money. In fact, if I was in the workplace, I would be making as much as I could in 40 to 50 hours a week. Jonathan Edwards said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's a godly, admirable thing to do. But if that's your motivation, boy, you're missing it. You serve the Lord Christ. The Lord will use you. There's so much more I wish I could say, but I'm going to move on. Um, Number six, I'm going to give you this for your notes. Point number six in the outline is Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. Point number six in the outline is loving the difficult. Loving the difficult. It's Luke chapter 6, 27 through 36, specifically verse number 35. If you want to put a star by a specific verse. That's number six. Now, point number seven. Again, I'm just giving you this for sake of time for your own study. Point number seven is doctrinal purity. Second John 7 through 9. Pick any chapter you want. Ha, 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 Second John, verse 7 through 9, doctrinal purity. And it says, basically, the idea is that there are many false teachers out there. There are many false doctrines out there. And he says, be careful that you receive a full reward. It's a great passage. Please, on your own time, for your own benefit and the glory of Jesus Christ, Please spend time in that passage, 2 John 7 through 9. Now, I do want to turn to this one, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This would be point number 8 in the outline. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse number 6. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 6. We've spent some time in this chapter over the weekend. If I remember correctly, we haven't specifically read these verses, and I just want to highlight this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's so straightforward. I don't even know how you explain it, right? What else do you say about it? It's directly proportionate to your labor. How much do you want? In the context, you've got the foundation of Christ, and then you have builders working amongst the people of God to minister to the people of God on the foundation of Christ. And as wise master builders, they're seeing a building built for the glory of Christ. It's investing in people. That's my point number eight, investing in people. You can have as much as you want. You can take your nights and you can use them to invest in people or you can use them selfishly. I remember when my wife and I, um, as a young couple, we thought, boy, every night is full. And then it finally dawned on us, we can stack appointments, (laughs) right? And so you'd have a six to eight and then you'd have an 8.30 to 10.30, right? Just investing in people. Another young couple that that are so zealous and admirable in our assembly, at one point they showed up at soccer 
and they had a young struggling couple with them at soccer. And I thought, oh, I never thought of that. And I knew what he was doing. He was spending time with them on purpose. His life is busy. Everybody's lives are busy, right? Good Americans spend 110% of their money and 110% of their time. We're all busy. And so he said, well, how am I going to invest in people? And he took this young, struggling family with them to soccer. And as they were sitting there cheering for their kids, watching soccer, they're also talking, ministering to the Christians. That's a good idea, isn't it? That same guy, when he goes to the hospital to make a visit, uh, he takes ones with him, and he leaves it with the people so they can buy pop or buy something out of a snack machine. It's just little acts of kindness, right? Just little simple things, investing in people. Now, there's a verse here in this same point that I so much want to show you. I love this verse. Go to Daniel chapter 12, if you would. Daniel chapter 12. In this same idea of investing in people, the book of Daniel chapter 12, In verse number 3. Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If I was going to put that in my own words, then I would just simply say this. Those that turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. That's just a nice Hebraic way of saying reward, right? If you're used of God to turn people to righteousness, like James chapter 5, a sinner wanders away from the truth. And the scripture says, go and get them humbly with the word of God. Go and get them. And those who turn them back, right? Save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Here, it's just a different way of saying the same concept. Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forevermore. When our assembly was a fairly young assembly, there was a, something grievous that was happening. And um, I was just watching it from a distance. And, and I felt like um, if anybody's paying any attention, they have to see this. There was somebody that was taking the bread and the cup and, and week after week after week. And it was just obvious. I didn't know the details, but it was obvious that this guy's spitting in the face of Jesus Christ with his lifestyle. I mean, he's not hostile or verbally attacking or I mean he's quiet and covert but it was just obvious right this guy's taking the bread and the cup and he's just not he's living in sin and and because to be quite frank I sinned against the Lord the Lord told me what to do and because of fear I didn't do it as a young guy I was praying for this young guy with my wife and my godly admirable wife that the Lord gave me my helper that I thank the Lord for she looked at me when I said amen. She looked at me and she said, Scott, you have been praying for him for a long time. And I immediately, I hung my head and I said, okay, you're right. And I determined that Sunday I'm going to talk with this young man. And so I spoke on that particular Sunday. I had my Bible and I laugh at myself um, how scaredy cat I can be. Um, my heart was beating. I was watching him out of the corner of my eye from across the room. Every step across the room was hard as I walked across the room to this young guy. And then I walked up to him and I said, hey, I'd like to talk to you sometime. And, uh, and he looked back at me and he, and he said, how about now? And I said, okay, 
And we went into a little corner room at the front of our auditorium. And, and I said, the Lord's given me three scriptures that I would like to share with you. Would that be okay? And he said, yeah. And so I opened to scripture number one and I start reading and I'm halfway through and I look up and he's crying. And I said, you understand that I love you? And he said, yeah, I understand. I got through with that scripture and I said, do you understand what that scripture means? He said, yeah. Do you understand the implication of that in your life? He said, yeah. He said, you know that I love you? He said, I know. We went to scripture number two and I'm reading and he's crying harder. I must have told him I loved him probably 15 or 18 times during the conversation. Like, I was just nervous. You get to scripture number three, I read it. I said, you understand that scripture? Yep. You understand the implication of that scripture in your life? Yep. You understand the decision that you have to make? I said, you either have to stop taking the bread and the cup and eating and drinking judgment unto yourself, or you have to repent. And he said, I understand. One more time, I said, you know I love you. And he said, I know. We stood up and I hugged him. And he walked out. His family was waiting outside. They're scared. And um, they said, was that a good conversation? He said, yeah, that was a good conversation. And uh, he went off by himself, and he repented. I mean, and when I say repented, like his whole life, he moved out of the apartment where sin was being brought into the apartment every day. He went from being as distant as he could physically be, and yet in the assembly during the meetings, to calling every day and saying, okay, I have nine questions. (laughs) He completely repented. Now he's got a believing, delightful wife. They have two kids that are being raised in in a Christian home. We have lots of couples like this, by the way. If You're all invited to come visit, but you won't be able to pick out which one they are. Um, the blessing in his life is going to literally be eternal. And I made him suffer in his sin because out of fear, I didn't, I didn't do what I knew the Lord wanted me to do for, I don't remember exactly, but at least a period of months. At least. Investing in people is worth it. Weeping over the lost is worth it. Spending time in a prayer closet is worth it. Stewardship of financial resources, the joyful acceptance of injustice, spiritual discipline, acts of kindness, faithfulness at work. These are all a blank check. Now, for your notes, let me give you these last two, and we'll close with this. Point nine, looking for Christ's coming. Looking for Christ's coming has a specific reward. Now, we talked about that already this weekend. It's from 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. The Apostle Paul made statements like, there is laid up for me. He knew. That's not arrogance. It's just confidence. He knew the Lord Jesus. He knew the Lord said, you do this, I will reward you. And he knew there is laid up for me. It's confidence, not arrogance. So 2 Timothy 4, 7, looking for Christ's coming. And this is point 10, acceptance of suffering. Acceptance of suffering. Now, point number one is similar to that. It's the joyful acceptance of injustice. Point number two would be just slightly different in context, the acceptance of suffering. And that's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 20 and 21. The amount of suffering in a normal Christian life can be astounding, can't it? I know a young guy in Ontario, he's my age. Um, I still call that young. And, and he got sick. He almost died. He lives with a colostomy bag now, something that nobody would choose if they had the choice. Uh, he was lying in a hospital Uh, fighting for his physical life, and his daughter got sick, completely unrelated. They wheeled her in past his hospital room, and she died in the next door room next to him. They had to wait until he was strong enough to lift him into a wheelchair to wheel him to his own daughter's funeral. 
He did make it, right? They took him right back to the hospital. He did make it. He was weak for a long time, but he did make it. He gets out of the hospital. One month later, they find out that his other daughter has leukemia. And the Christians are saying, why can't we spread this around a little bit to the Lord? Not in a lack of faith, not in criticism. They're just looking at this family saying, wow, the amount of suffering in a normal Christian life can be intense, right? And we're promised in Scripture that you will suffer. You're called to suffering, actually, because Jesus Christ, our leader, our example, he suffered. We're called to live a Christ-like life. Now, I have homework. This is the homework. This is the application. Um, If you are single, it will actually be easier for you. My encouragement is go home, get into a prayer closet. At some point over the... I, I would encourage you to do it today before the enemy has any chance to snatch anything away. But go home, get into a prayer closet, alone in your study, whatever it is, and ask the Lord with these 10 points. Ask the Lord, what is it in my life that has to go so that I have time to invest in the things that Jesus Christ said? You do this, great is your reward. If you're married, then work it out between the two of you. Get alone. Likely, if you have little kids, will have to be late at night. But get alone and look into each other's eyes and pray and then say, okay, we have one chance to raise this family and we have one chance to live this life for Jesus Christ. The importance of these things cannot be overemphasized. You have one chance. And so, my love, how are we going to live a life that reflects these things that we've been talking about? And then ask the Lord, what has to go? Uh, I'm not just saying add 10 new ministries to your life. That could very easily be out of the will of God, right? And I'm not just saying work harder. I'm saying take inventory of your spiritual closet. Look at what's, what needs to go. Look at what's a waste of time if it's there. And then according to what Jesus Christ said, you do this, great is your reward. Men, be men. There's something in every little boy that puffs out his chest, Right? That's the way men are made. We need a whole generation of men, godly men, that will lead their families in the things of God. Think through, how am I going to lead my family so that my children raise up with an appetite for these things? They will hunger for these things. Hence, their life will go well, and they will stand with joy at the judgment seat of Christ. So whatever circumstance the Lord has put you in, that's, that's, the, that's the homework. That's the application for all of these thoughts. Do you see why I call this a blank check? You can have as much as you want. If someone handed me a physical blank check, I would go home. I would think, ah, I'd be hesitant to fill that thing in until I really thought and prayed, right? This is so much more valuable. In fact, the Lord already has the resources. Money doesn't even exist to the Lord. It's nothing. It's paper, right? He already has the resources. He's not a poor God. We have a blank check setting in front of us. And I pray that um, you will stand with joy at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, someday we'll see each other in eternity. You'll see how I did. I'll see how you did. What's in the darkness will be brought out into the light. Um, Boy, I pray that you do well. Father, we just want to commit this to you. And we want to ask, as just as we've been talking, we want to ask that you, by your grace, would work in this crowd in such a way that they would do well at the judgment seat of Christ. Father, we, want, we don't want to be ignorant, and we don't want to be foolish, and we don't want to think that 
you're just a big, jolly, heavenly grandfather and that everybody will do the same and that everybody will do well. Lord, an honest reading of your word does not lead us to that conclusion at all. And so we pray, Father, for the wrestling of choices that need to be made in this room. Father, there's every different kind of a struggle in this room. There's vile sin that shouldn't be named from a pulpit in this room. There's, there's more just things that are just a waste of time that we're going to be embarrassed at the judgment seat of Christ because, because we gave our lives to things that are so pitifully unimportant. Father, please show us now what you would have us to pour our lives into. Show us what needs to go. Father, please, we just offer ourselves up to you as a spiritual sacrifice. We are not wise enough to run our own lives. We're not wise enough or strong enough to perfect ourselves. Lord, we're utterly in need of your guidance if we're going to live a life that will honor your son. And so we just earnestly pray that you would guide us and help us in these things. Father, please, uh, Lord, help us not to dabble in the things of God and the things of eternity. Help us to be like the Lord Jesus. Zeal for thy house hath consumed me, eaten me up. Lord, help us to heed the admonition of Paul. Give yourself wholly to these things that your progress may be evident to all. Father, whatever that next step is, we pray for that earnestly. And Father, perhaps, rather than just a little tweak, perhaps, Lord, it'll be a radical change in some of the lives that are here. Lord, we know, by faith, we know Everything done for Jesus Christ, we're going to be so glad that we invested. And everything else, we're going to be ashamed and sorry that we wasted. Father, we just look at these things and the importance of these things, and all we can do is come to you and say, we are, we are uh, in desperate need of your help if we're going to see these changes in our lives. And so we pray, Father, for the reaching of the 530 million people in North America in the next generation. We pray for revival in the Bride of Christ. We pray for a turning from the adultery, idolatry, and complacencies that is so prevalent uh, in the bride of Christ on this land. And we just commit ourselves to you. Only a God like you uh, can do this work. And Father, we say it with joy because our head, our leader, is the omnipotent king of glory, uh, is Jesus Christ. Lord, we have the right leader. And so we just come to you and we offer ourselves to you. And we pray, Father, these things in the powerful, authoritative name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.